book of John in the New Testament, chapter 20. Praise the name of Jesus. John chapter 20. And we're going to start reading at verse 24 and go down through to verse 29. Uh, This message will probably come out in a couple of parts. Um, There are a number of things that I want to just go over with you and so it probably will entail both this week and next week uh, at the very least. But the idea here behind this message is to lift your faith. Um, not to diminish it, not to hurt it, not to bring it down, but to lift it. And so today, hopefully, I will give you the Lord with the Lord, help of the Lord a faith lift. And um, we will see what the Bible has to say. But The Bible says this, starting at verse 24, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. uh, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In all my years of growing up in church, I grew up in Church, literally, quite literally, grew up in church. My father was a pastor. Uh, My two brothers are pastors. Now I'm a pastor. I stood no chance. I'm the baby of the family. I stood no chance of being anything else. But I, I, uh, I grew up in the ministry. I've heard a lot of preaching in my life. I've heard both from my my father, my brothers, from visiting pastors and and guest ministries, and I've always heard this message of faith. We hear the message of faith a great deal. We hear a lot about it. We hear a lot about uh, how we are to trust, and we are to believe, and we are to have faith in spite of what it is that we go through. And in all of that, isn't it an amazing thing? As much as we hear about faith, we always seem to need more. We always seem to need more faith. We've got to grow in faith. Faith is one of those things that you cannot, you, you, you can't exit the Christian life without it. You've got to have the Christian life. In order to live the Christian life, you've got to have faith. It is by faith, as one writer said, from first to last. There is no way for you and I to live the Christian life without faith. In fact, we go to the altar and receive Christ, or maybe somebody somewhere along the way said a sinner's prayer with you, and by faith, 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? You believed the message. It was faith that brought you into the kingdom of God. But there is no other way for you to live the Christian life as a believer. You can't do it by works. The Bible talks about that. It talks about the fact that we are saved by faith, that we live by faith. The Bible says the just will live by faith. said that even in the Old Testament under the law. The just will live by faith. There is no other way around it. We've got to have faith. And so today, with the help of the Lord, I want to encourage your faith. You see, Thomas had been with Jesus for three years. But there came a time when Thomas, and quite frankly, all of the other disciples as well, needed a faith lift. Like all the other disciples, Thomas had traveled with Jesus. He had seen some of the the miracles, many of the miracles that Jesus had performed. He had uh, heard the revolutionary teachings that Jesus had taught. He had seen the fact that there were many that just, they tried to stump Jesus over the years and they tried to trick Jesus. And Jesus every single time extracted himself from it with, with divine wisdom and grace and power. Jesus had done these incredible things, and Thomas had seen it. He had heard Jesus say to his disciples, I've got to suffer many things. I've got to be crucified. And it's an incredible thing that Jesus, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, testified about the fact that he had to go to the cross, he had to die, He had to be raised on the third day. And yet when the rumors about Jesus being alive started to fly around and all of a sudden there were those disciples and these disciples, uh, all uh, of, of these disciples except for Thomas had been in the room when Jesus had appeared to them and Jesus had come to them and Thomas for whatever reason was not there They had all said, yes, he's alive, he's alive, we've seen him. But Thomas said, I'm sorry, I wasn't there. I don't know about you, I have been in areas of life where I have have said, I'll believe it when I see it. Usually, we say that when it's regarding another person. Because we know humanity. We know how human beings can be. We know how human beings are. And that at times, as human beings, we are not trustworthy. But you've got to know today, right from the beginning, before we get into any of this, you've got to know that God is always trustworthy. You have to understand today that when you are faithless, He remains faithful to His people. No, no matter what you are going through today, that God is faithful to His people. But Thomas had missed out on the event. And this passage of Scripture won Thomas the moniker, Doubting Thomas. We use it to describe other people who don't believe. Oh, they're just a doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas. You know, really when it all comes down to it. 
Thomas just was saying, I've got to feel something a little more tangible. I've got to grab on to him. And Jesus is going to use this occasion not to condemn Thomas. He's going to use this occasion not to condone Thomas. But he is going to use this occasion to help him to come up to where faith really needs to operate. And that is not in the area of seeing. It is in the area of trusting in a God who is in control, a God who is in charge, and a God who will see you through today. Today I want to deal with really the first point of this message, but there are four areas that I want to deal with. The first point of this message I want to deal with over these, this next uh, couple of sermons, the tragedy of faithlessness, the testing of, faithless, or, or the testing of faith, and then the triumphs of faith. But today I want to just deal with the tragedy of faithlessness. There are four tragedies that we can find in different places in Scripture. But the first one is this. One of the tragedies can be found in the misconception of what faith really is. When we come to Christ, we come to Christ believing that He is a Savior. But many times after coming to Christ to believe for our salvation... We have a hard time believing that God is who He says He is in Scripture according to whatever it is that we might be going through. You see, a lot of times what we are going through so terribly clouds our view of faith and our view of who God really is that we fail in our faith simply because we're just looking at the problem. Thomas was looking at this fact. I wasn't there. Though there was a testimony of at least ten other people, maybe more, we don't know exactly how many there were, but at the very least, the ten disciples that were in the room, they said, we saw him. And it's an amazing thing that though many people can choose to believe and choose to see what it is that has happened and choose the fact that there is something that is revolutionary that has taken place, there are those who will say, I don't believe it because I don't see it. One of the dangerous misconceptions of our faith is that we will get to that point and say, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that it is a deception to think that in order to have faith in God, you've got to have some proof of the promise, something substantial to hold on to. And I want to warn you today that that is not faith at all. The very biblical definition of faith, listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 11.1. It tells us now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If we can somehow get our eyes off what we're looking at here in this level and say, God, you've got something prepared that I don't see right now. You've got something in store for us that we don't see as a church. You've got something great in store for every one of us that we can't seem to get our eyes on. But if we will trust and believe that God cares so deeply about His kingdom, about His plan, about His purpose, brothers and sisters, no matter what you're going through today there is a God in heaven who says I will fulfill my word it's up to us to believe it 
Jesus showed up in the room and Thomas said, well, you know, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it. I love the fact, and we'll get into this later on, but I do love the fact that Jesus did not take that moment to look at Thomas Say, Thomas, you know what? You are the poorest excuse of faith that I have ever seen. What's the matter with you? You know, you ever listen to ministries or preachers and somehow you think, you know, the way that they kind of come across with the message of faith is that if I, if I don't believe that they're, the way that they're believing, I'm just the biggest failure. And they will preach in such a way so as to let you know how badly you have failed. I love the fact that when Jesus dealt with Thomas, he didn't say, you know what, you were just as rotten as everybody else. You know what, Thomas, I think you need to be replaced as a disciple. You're just not the kind of faith-filled man that I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody else. I'm looking for somebody who will trust me, who will believe, who will trust no matter what the situation is. I, I've got to have somebody a little bit different than he. He didn't do that. I, I don't know if I'm connecting to anybody at the moment, but I, I got to tell you I'm connecting to myself at the very least. Because there are times where I think, God, I am so bad at this. When it comes to trusting you, when it comes to having faith, when it comes to believing you, I'm terrible at this, Lord. I've got to, you've got to move on to somebody else, Lord, because I'm not the man of faith that somebody else says I need to be. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God does not deal with us the way somebody else will. God does not deal with you according to what somebody else thinks you ought to have or what their book says you ought to do. I want you to know that God is more merciful than that. Paul says this. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's go over there. Romans chapter 8. Verses 24 and 25 says this. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now notice this, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? I really hope that I have a pair of glasses here. Oh, look at that. No, I have a pair of glasses. Why am I going to hope for a pair of glasses so I can, you know, hopefully see the small print? You don't hope for what it is that you already have or what you see. You hope for what you don't see. Paul goes on and says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It is the mark of a doubting mind that says, I'll believe it when I see it. And sometimes that attitude enters into our prayer life. Paul has just said what we've got to do is hope for what we don't see, and we've got to do it. There's an attitude that we've got to have in it, and it's patiently. One of the most difficult things for us as believers to do. You know, we're always telling God what we need, and we're always telling Him how fast we need it. And God is saying, really? You need it that fast? You, you're going to tell me how fast you need this. You're going to tell me what's going on. You're going to inform me. Isn't it amazing how much we have to inform God? 
right? We, we tend to do that in our prayer life. And yet many times, brothers and sisters, I believe that our prayer life would benefit from the attitude that says simply, Lord, I do not see it, but I'm going to trust in you. I don't see it taking place at the moment, but I'm going to believe in you. Don't fall for the lie and the, the misconception that says you've got to see it in order to believe it. You don't. In fact, in the Christian life, it is the opposite. It is that you've got to believe it rather than to see it. You've got to believe it to see it. You've got to believe it it to see it. You've got to believe it to see it. It's not this kind of hyper kind of faith. It's not reaching out, whoo, I'm going to be rich. You may not be, but I want you to know that God wants something for you and for your life that can only be grabbed onto by faith. We pray. And you know, it's, an, and it's, it's, it's really when it all comes down to it, when we let that attitude come into our prayer life, it's absurd. It's absurd to think that God's going to answer our prayer with the attitude that unless we see it, we won't believe it. Then why pray? Wait to hopefully see it. No, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is reaching into the throne room of God and laying hold of the promises of God and what God has promised for His people, what God has promised for your life and for my life and for your family's life and for your church's life. Reach into the throne room of God and take hold of what you don't see yet. You pray and you say, God, I'm going to hope and I'm going to trust in what I do not see. I hope by the end of this message you'll get this. I don't know. We've got, to, we've got to grab onto it. It's only by faith. It's only by faith, folks. It's only by faith that we can grab onto anything that God has for our lives. Anything that God has. Do you know that God has a plan for every person in this room? Every young person in this place. Every older person. God has something in store for you. He has a job for you. He has a plan and a purpose and a work for you to do. And it can only be grabbed onto by faith. We've got to trust that God has laid His hand upon our life for a reason. And a lot of times we get into prayer and we say, well, I'm going to pray for this, even though deep down in my heart I don't believe it. The Bible lets us know that when we pray, we've got to ask God and believe and trust in Him and not allow our hearts to waver or doubt because the one who doubts does not receive anything from the Lord. Don't allow that idea, to that, that attitude to enter into your prayer life because Jesus gave us the only way to believe when He said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It's kind of like the little girl playing with her friend. Her little friend said to her, I have five pennies. And she took them out of her pocket, held out the pennies so her friend could have proof of her wealth. Her friend responded to her by saying, I have ten pennies. And she proceeded to pull out five pennies and held it out to her friend. Her friend looked at her and said, I, I, you didn't count right. You only have five pennies. She said, no, I have ten pennies. Little girl looked at her and said, look, I have ten pennies. I don't know, I don't know what makes you think I have five. She said, look at your hand. You only have five pennies in your hand. Count them. One, two, three, four, five. We're old enough to know how to count, and you have five pennies. Why are you telling me that you have ten pennies? She said, 
finally, in frustration, I have ten pennies, but I've got five here, but my dad promised me that when I get home, I'm going to get five more. Now, brothers and sisters, what looks more like faith to you? Saying what is or saying what God says? I want you to know what God has to say is more powerful than anything you've got in your hand. We've got to believe that what God can do with what it is that we have in our hand is so much greater and so much more powerful. Brothers and sisters, God has done great things and He will do great things in your life. He who promised you is faithful. Another tragedy of faithlessness, of a faithless heart, is how unbelief destroys the effectiveness of the Word. Unbelief can destroy the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life. It's a tragedy, but it's true. The tragedy of faithlessness is that unbelief can destroy the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life. Turn over. I want you to see the verse of Scripture. The book of Hebrews. There are really two verses of Scripture we're going to look at. But this, this one verse of Scripture really just kind of, it, it, it shows this point to be true. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. It says this, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Now listen to this, the writer says. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. It's an amazing thing. This is why preaching can be such a, 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 an exercise of futility. Because any word that is preached that is read in Scripture, you may pick up the Bible, you may read it, you may try to get something for the day, but if you do not read it in faith, if you do not hear a message by faith and in faith, then that word is not going to be of any benefit to you. It will not change you. And in, in effect, it will render the word of God powerless, even though we know it's not. But in your life, in your situation, you will say, that's not for me. That's not for my life. I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to take that by faith because that's too far out there for me. And so what happens is, is the Word of God not combined with faith leaves you empty. It leaves it of no value. You can read the Bible. You can read the Word of God. You can, you can you look at the words on a page. But if there is no faith being exercised in that moment of, of, of devotion, that moment of reaching out to the Word of God, then that Word will be of no value to you. This is what the writer says. And many times the Word of God doesn't, doesn't benefit us because even though we mentally agree with it, we're not receiving it by faith. Some of you say, well, I, you know, I believe and I trust God. But maybe it is that you've got a situation in your life. And that situation is, is over here. And you've reserved it for unbelief. You've said, you've already said in your mind that, you know, God can do this, but not this. What a dangerous place to be. 
and yet it's your thing. You own it. It's part of your life. It's part of your situation. And, you know, you come over here every now and then, and you sit and you wonder what in the world is going on, and why is it all so bad, and why is it so rotten? Because there is nothing about that situation that you take the Word of God and apply to because you don't trust that God can fix that, that God can come down and change that. There is something in you that has died, that has said, it's not for God to do anything. What, you're going to fix it? You're going to do it? You're so powerful, you're so mighty, that you can actually come over here and you can make it happy. You say, but God hasn't done it yet. Important word here, yet. Yet. It might be that maybe God is waiting for your faith to line up to His power and to what His Word says, and finally you acquiesce and say, Okay, God, I believe that you can do this. I believe that you will do this. And finally God says, Now my hands are untied. Say, can we really tie the hands of God? We can tie the the Word of God. We can tie the hands of God. You remember Jesus went into these villages, some of the villages and the towns, and the Bible says that in those places he could not do many miracles there because they did not believe. I love how the writer says many miracles. It's as, Jesus, as if Jesus looked down at somebody and said, I don't care if you have faith or not, this person has a need. But you know what? The, there could have been so much you know, so much more that could have happened in that moment. There could have been greater things that have occurred or could have occurred in those towns and those villages if they had just trusted, if they had just believed, if they had just hoped that, that Jesus was able to change that moment, that situation, that problem, that life, that person that you have said in the back of your mind, it's only going to take a miracle. But in the back of the further back of your mind, you said, no, I don't believe it's going to happen. Believe it when I see it. Brothers and sisters, if the word of God is true, we've got to trust it. You see, the Bible tells us that there is great power in the word of God. There is, and the word of God is so powerful. Listen to what it can do. Right, just jump down a few verses to verse 12. In Hebrews, the same chapter. Listen to what the word of God is able to do. If we will trust, if we will believe. For the word of God is living. And active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is a powerful verse of Scripture that describes the searching power of the Word of God. And yet the only place that the Word of God can't seem to evade or invade and penetrate. It's in the unbelieving heart. That's what the Word can do when it's unleashed in a heart that, that, is, that believes. It's able to accomplish things that we can't even figure out. The Bible says dividing of soul and spirit. You know, theologians and psychologists and you know, people, they, they haggle about soul and spirit and what it really means and all of that. The Word of God goes to where even we can't understand or figure out or, or go. We can't invade the heart that way. The Word of God is able to do that in a heart that says, Yes, I trust. I believe. But if we're not careful, we can be like verse 2. Like those who did not combine what they heard from the Word with faith. 
It takes faith, brothers and sisters, to believe what God has said. I want us to move on. Another tragedy of unbelief is how it destroys rest. All of Hebrews 4 really essentially tells us that those who didn't mix the hearing of the Word with faith didn't enter into the promised rest. He's talking about in the Old Testament the example of the Israelites who went out into the desert and though they walked through a Red Sea, walls of water on one side, on on both sides of them, they walked through that Red Sea, then they saw Pharaoh's army drown. For those of you know who listen to the critical scholars who say, well, it was just sort of, you know, they waded through it. I'm not quite sure yet how Pharaoh's entire army drowned in water that you could wade in, but Nonetheless, the Bible says that Pharaoh's army drowned in that. They get through the other side, and we know the story. We know the history of the Old Testament. We know what what took place. They got through on the other side, and they, they looked around them for a while after they had celebrated, and they realized we're in this arid place, this place where there's no water, there's no food, there's no nothing. Moses, what did you do? Bring us out here in the wilderness to kill us? What, what's going on? Why are we out here? We're in this place where we can't live. You see, they couldn't rest even there. They couldn't enter that place of rest. You see, God had a plan. He didn't plan for them to stay in the wilderness. It was not God's plan for the people of Israel to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. It was not God's plan for them to walk in circles. And all of a sudden, they camp in one place, and after a few months or a couple of years later, they come around and they say, wait a minute, there's our fire pile. We were here before. You know, Joe was here. Look at that, right on that palm tree. I was here last year. That wasn't God's plan. Do you know that it took them 40 years to get to a place that should have only taken them about 10 days? wasn't God's plan for them to do that and yet an entire generation failed to enter the place of rest because they did not trust God you see unbelief faithlessness the tragedy of it is that it destroys rest God's plan for you is to enter a spiritual rest a place of rest in Him. It's not for you to sit around and to worry about all kinds of things that have or have not happened. It is for you to go into a place where you say, God, I may not have the answer, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to hope that you're going to give me the answer. But even when you don't, I'm still going to trust in the power that you have in your hand to help me in my situation. You see, as soon as you doubt the Word of God, you're setting yourself up for a major defeat. Having a restless spirit that will never settle down until you learn to rest in Him through faith. It was Augustine who wrote in his confessions when he said, My heart is restless until I find rest in you. There is no other way, brothers and sisters, for us to find rest but in the heart and the, and the plan and the purpose and the Word of God. What God has said, we've got to trust in Him. We've got to believe in Him and hope in Him. But allow me to show you how unbelief destroys rest and causes restlessness. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 1. 
Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I want to read a few verses of Scripture in Deuteronomy. This is Moses recounting what, where the people have been and what has taken place and what, uh, what it was that he had, he had set out to accomplish, what God had set out to accomplish. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19, going down through to verse 33. Just hang on tight with me for a moment while we read this. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that, that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God, your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as uh, take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, folks, this is Moses who had told the previous generation of what it was that they were to do. They were to go in and take the land. That was the plan of God. That was what God wanted to have happen. Then, verse 22, all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about, uh, about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went into the valley uh, country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up and you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. Isn't that unbelievable? It, what's more unbelievable is not our lack of faith. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that it was the plan of God that they would go into this land. They bring back some of the fruit. They say it's a good land. It's a great place. But we know the story. Ten, ten spies came back and said, oh, but they're giants. They're really big, tall people. They're strong, mighty, scary. Let's move on. The Bible says in verse 28, where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there who are supposedly are giants. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You saw what God did. You saw it. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Isn't it amazing 
not only did they have the promise of God, but they had a sign of the physical presence of God in that place. They had a pillar of fire by night, and they had a pillar of cloud by day. And God was going before them, and Moses says, he was searching out places for you to go and for you to camp. And he carried you like a father carries a son when that son is weak. Now, I know the son was weak this morning. Brandon wasn't feeling good. I know Bobby is not interested in carrying his son anymore. But I know he'd have hold him up on his back if he had had to, to carry him out of here. You know what? It's the same way with us. When our children are weak and they can't, they can't walk for themselves, we pick them up and we carry them and we take them with us. That's what God did for his people. That's what he did for them. And when Moses said, this is for you, this is what God has planned, they came back and said, oh, no, it's not. The land of Canaan signified the rest that God wanted them to have. Think about it. They had had 400 years of slavery. 400 years. And now God wanted them to rest. They said, oh, no, we can't do it. He said, but God's going to fight for you. He's going to take care of you. Caleb and Joshua stood up and said, we can go in and we can take the land. No, no, we can't. We can't. The Bible says that their hearts melted for fear because they trusted in man's report. Brothers and sisters, you know what? You've got to, when you are faced with a problem, you can listen to all the heart melters you want. You can listen to everybody who said, not going to happen, not going to happen. But if you want to see God do something great, you've got to trust in Him. You've got to be, you've got to believe in him and hope in him what was the result of their unbelief we know the story they wandered in circles round and around and around in this arid dry desert every step of the way God took care of them he preserved them he helped them but he waited until that old generation who said we can't died off to give way to the new generation that says we can. I want you to know I don't want to be a part of the old generation who says we can't. I don't want to be a part of that group that said can't be done, can't be done. You know what? You may say it can't be done and it won't be done for you but I want to say it can be done. I want to say that God is able. I want to say that it's not in my own strength. It's not in my power but it's in the power of God working in us. We've got to trust in a God who greater folks he's not looking for you to come up with solutions he's not looking with you for you to come up with a plan he's already got the plan we've got to say God I've got an open hand you drop the plan in my hand and let's run with it and let's go with it and let's believe in you listen to how God describes their unbelief it's an amazing thing we read it verse 26 it says this you were unwilling to go up it's an amazing thing faith There are two things in this verse of Scripture we'll see in a second. Faith has to do with being unwilling. It's not even this idea of you can't, you won't. Faith has nothing to do with, wow, that's just too crazy for me to believe. No, you won't believe it. You won't. You will not. He says you were unwilling to go up. That is, you were unwilling to act upon my word, my plan, and what it is that I had in store for you. You were unwilling. But here's the more dangerous part of the verse. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. God considers unbelief to be the seed of rebellion. Not hurts, 
not emotional pain or abusive situations or trials, as bad as those things are. I'm not diminishing any of that. But it is unbelief. It is the starting point of all rebellion against God. For that unbelieving rebellion, they wandered aimlessly for 40 years and eventually died in the wilderness. They just wandered aimlessly. No point. No, God said that's it. We're waiting for the old generation to die off. Now let's see the old generation. They're just going to go in circles. I don't know. Well, I, I, I wonder, sometimes wonder what was going through the minds of that younger generation. As they watched this older generation, you know, with just this sad look on their face, I wonder if they didn't say, you know what, there's got to be something better than that. I wonder if there wasn't something in them that says there's got to be something more than what I see in mom and dad. There's got to be something better than what I see in this older generation that just seems to be wandering aimlessly. I don't want any part of being in the wilderness anymore. I want the plan and the rest and the purpose of God for my life. What about us? God has promised victory over sin. Forgiveness for anything that we've done. He's promised us victory through our trials. And yet so often we feel as though we'll never make it. The struggle against sin is just, it's so great. It's too difficult. The trial is too large for us to be able to make it. So instead of trusting and stepping out in faith, we aimlessly wander in a wilderness of tribulation depression and anger and frustration and emotion that is too great. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that in all of this, we've got to look to a God who is able and not fall like that old generation and say, I can't, I won't believe it, I won't trust it. There's one final tragedy that I want us to see, and it is that the, another tragedy of the faithless heart is how unbelief blinds us to what God has already done for us and what He will do for us. It blinds us to what God has already done. Deuteronomy, we're still in Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to find it right there. Verse 27, it says this, You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. <laughs> Amazing. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Yes, that's exactly what God did. He opened the Red Sea. He, yeah, that's right. I just heard somebody say it's crazy. He opened the Red Sea. He opened it up so they could walk through, not on muddy ground, on dry ground. And then... When Pharaoh's army thought they could get in on the miracle, God says, no, sorry. Your day of judgment has come. He saw, they saw how God brought them out. They saw, protected them during the, the plagues of Egypt. Preserved them. Sent Moses to them in Moses' old age. Sent Moses to lead them out. And he led them out. Led them through. And all of a sudden now, the tragedy of unbelief is we forget what God did yesterday. Shame on us. We forget that God saved us. 
that God brought us out, that there was a mighty, mighty deliverance. What God did for them? Well, he delivered them from the land of Egypt. He prepared a way for them in the desert. He protected them from their enemies. He provided food and water for them. He led them when they didn't know where they were going. That's all those are and the Bible says it even reveals more. There's more that we could add to that. He carried them like a father carries a child. He he spied out the land that they were going to provide them a place where they could stay, a place of protection, a place where he could provide for their every need. That's what God did for them. That's how God took care of of his people. Well, what's God going to do for you on the basis of faith? He will deliver you from sin. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will heal you. He will strengthen you in your trials. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that God will take care of his people, that he will look out for his people, but we have got to trust that the same God who did something mighty for us last year is the same God who will do something mighty for us this year. That if He did something in the past, He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed His character, His nature. There isn't anything about God that is different than what He was yesterday. It's us who change. It's us who can't believe. It's us who refuse to believe in that moment. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, do not be a part of the crowd that says, I refuse to believe it. I won't believe it unless I see it, but instead be part of the crowd that says, I believe it, therefore I will see it. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm not going to be part of the crowd that's all full of tragedy and unbelief. I'm going to be part of the crowd that's full of faith and that believes and then sees. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there is part of this that for many of us, we might think, well, God isn't going to do it. God won't make it happen. Maybe there is a part of you that says, ah, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, you can say that. And you can just sit there with your arms folded, your arms crossed with your wretched attitude, and you can simply say, well, I don't see it, therefore it ain't going to happen. You know what? Start to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe that you're going to make it happen. I believe that you're going to help me in my situation. I'm going to start trusting in you rather than trusting in my intuition, rather than trusting in my own plans and my own purposes. I'm going to believe that you're going to do something mighty beyond what we could ever imagine or ever think. God is a God of surprises. God is a God who will take care of his people. And you know what brothers and sisters, for many of us we sit around and we mope simply because we're focusing on us. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So today can we focus on the Lord? Can we focus on the Lord? Can we say, Lord, we're going to believe in you. We're going to trust in you. I want us to stand to our feet today and I want you to put your hands in the air and I want you to reach out to the Lord and say, God, forgive me for the times where I have not trusted, the times where I have been unwilling to trust in you. I don't want to fall under the tragedy of faithlessness. I don't want to fall under the tragedy of unbelief, but I want to be one of those who will stand and see the hand of God move in an impossible situation. Come on, I want you to cry out to the Lord right now and just say, God, I'm coming to you right now. I need you today. I 
need your power and your grace. I need your glory in my life. I need you, oh God, in my situation. But I am going to trust in you right now. I'm not going to stand with those who say I'll believe it when I see it, but instead I'm going to see it when I believe it. God, right now, Father, I pray for your people. I pray, oh God, that you would give them strength, oh Lord, to face every problem, every difficulty, every impossibility. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we ask, oh God, for your mighty hand to be upon us. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for your glory to be revealed in our lives, oh God. I pray, Lord God, that whatever it is that we're praying for today, that we would pray in faith. God, I pray if it's a miracle that we need, that you would perform a mighty miracle, oh God, in the name of Jesus. But God, today, we will not get frustrated. We will not get worried. But instead, we're simply going to trust in your hand who brought us out of sin. You brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And you did so, oh God, to prove that you love us, to show that you love us. So God, help us today. Help us today, oh God, to believe in you. Help us, Lord, to trust in your mighty hand, oh God. You are a great God. You're a mighty God. There is nothing that is too hard for you. And so, Lord, today I pray for your people. I pray that whatever they may be going through today, Whatever their struggles are, O oh God, whatever their impossibilities are, I pray today, O oh God, that we would not be like Thomas, but Lord, instead that we would recognize that we are blessed if we will believe without seeing. That, Lord, in due time we will see because we believe. Today I pray that you would encourage those who need encouragement. Strengthen each one, O oh God, by your mighty power and your mighty hand, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us faith to believe. Give us faith to trust in your word. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, there is a world that is lost. A world that is dying without you, Jesus. God, we've got a job to do. We have work to do, O oh God. We have co-workers to reach out to. We have family members to continue to pray over and to pray for. God, we've been doing it for years. May we never stop. May we never give up. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give your people strength this week. Strengthen them by your mighty hand. God, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord. I want to encourage you to come back next week. Part two of this message, the Lord's going to help me, I, I believe, to finish it. But next week will be part two. We're going to talk about not the negative stuff, but a little more of the positive things. But as it relates to faith, God is going to help us to be men and women who will trust for the impossible.